This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Repartnering later in life. What do you need to consider? What are your concerns? Everything from your kids' reactions to the security of your finances. How simple is it finding love later in life? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and I'm in Melbourne. And I'm Kirsten Diprose. I'm sitting in Warrnambool. Rochelle, I don't think it's simple at all, to tell you the truth. No, this is something that you've been thinking and maybe eavesdropping about just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I Look, listening to my mum and a couple of her friends who are all single in their 70s and early 80s and... There's just, it's just so different. And I guess I haven't thought about dating in a long time. I'm married and I think you're in the same boat. But listening to people who perhaps have been married prior for a long time, Mm. decades, having to, well, wanting to go back out there, but thinking about finances, you know, these are are people who are retired um, and don't want to, if you were to live with someone, potentially lose their house. And so we will be talking to a, a lawyer about that. bit later in our program today, but also about, you know, intimacy. What level of intimacy? How often do you want to see someone? And then even telling your older kids that you're seeing someone. I mean, that's when you think about those three things. And then there would be, for everyone's individual circumstance, it would be so different, you know, for how long you've been with someone, for how long you've been apart, whether you're looking for another life partner, or whether you're just looking for some companionship as well. Maybe you're feeling a little bit lonely if your children have grown up and moved away or are busy with their own families or maybe you never had children and the other thing too is sadly you know people's friends die and you lose that really close connection that you had but it's not always easy is it too to tell children look I'm seeing someone else even though the only person you've ever seen me with was your mum or your dad or whoever you know they may have partnered with that could be a confronting thing to talk about yeah I've certainly heard many stories of of people finding that confronting but at the same time your kids want you to be want you to be happy so it is a leap for them to make but I'm sure it's one to get over and I'm really looking forward to the people that we've got on this program you know we're talking about it from a counselor's perspective from a legal perspective um, and and from an online dating perspective because that can be a completely new thing I've never actually done any online dating because no. I've been with my husband for more than 10 years and it was it was around 10 years ago but it still back then was this kind of thing that you didn't really do that much or I just never got into it and I was in my 20s. Um, and now it's know. pretty much considered the not the only way but you know, it is one of the most popular ways to find someone is online. So how do you know where to start there as well? Yeah. All of that is what we're looking at today. What do you need to consider? What are your concerns from your kids' reactions to the security of your finances? Answers through to intimacy. How simple is it to find love later in life? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. 
Many texts coming in already. I met my partner coming up to four years ago. He has two teenage kids. We talked about money openly early from day one. We have a joint account which pays for our home and other joint things. We agree on how much to put in there each week. The rest of our money is ours to do whatever we please. I wasn't going to move in with him if his kids didn't agree. Having come from a divorced family, this was really important to me. Luckily, the kids appear uh, to like me now. They're 21 and 19 we also have a binding agreement as if I because I bought more money to the table I wanted to protect my assets and he wanted to protect his business that's from a woman aged nearly 50 who's living in Upper Ferntree Gully so they've really thought about everything there in that text from the kids to the finances and maybe being really open at the beginning tricky confronting but maybe it's important (laughs) I think so and look Jane Ferguson is with us and she's from Relationships Australia, Victoria and helps people with a lot of these conversations. She's the centre manager at the Ballarat Centre and has worked in counselling for many years as a senior clinician and supervisor. Welcome to the program, Jane. Thanks very much for having me. I mean, we just heard an example there of someone who's approached a relationship, you know, with all of these things in mind. Um, What's your advice on this? Or perhaps we should start from the beginning about just that desire to meet someone new. Mm. We shouldn't really be surprised that an older person would want to meet someone, should we? Oh, that's right. And we all, I think we all have a really inherent desire to, to be close to other people. So, you know, we're sort of made to connect and build relationships. I think it's really important for us to remember um, that that just doesn't change regardless of age or stage in life. And I know today we're talking um, about people who are in more senior levels or years of life where they um, may have had other relationships for many years. Um, and they're still interested um, in the same way that we all are in connecting um, and meeting people. So, yeah, look, relationships at any age are exciting, um, but they're also scary. And I think as we've you've already um, alluded to, they can be super scary when you're um, a bit older and you might, you know, have established a bit of a nest egg and um, you've got lots of other relationships and often adult children as you say. Um, So there's a lot more to sort of consider and and potentially a little more apprehension for someone who's um, later on in life and wanting to meet um, and spend some time with um, somebody for the rest of their life. Um, It's you know it's it's a really normal and um, great thing but it can be a bit scary at times too. Have we got better in not stereotyping people that are later in life? And I mean, I think sort of the concept of age is changing dramatically as well and, and what we consider to be old. And that may just be because I'm getting older. I don't know. So that my yardstick is changing possibly. But I feel like, you know, when I was growing up, what we considered to be older just isn't that now. So are we becoming, I guess, a little more contemporary in our thinking? Uh, look, I'd like to think so. I think that it's probably people um, who um, fit, sort of see themselves in that category are sometimes harder on themselves in terms of expectation. And that I think that has a lot to do with very traditional views. So if you've entered into your first relationship, and for many people, you know, that was their first relationship and then their marriage um, or their long-term relationship, um, they've got very traditional views of what is expected of them. Um, and, you know, I think... Um, in, in thinking about this, one of the things we need to remember is that marriage, which was traditionally 
almost that's all acceptable in terms of living with somebody is no longer the case. So there's different versions of how you might have a relationship now. Um, And I think helping people um, to remove that stigma from themselves and and from their children too. Um, But look, I'd like to think we've got a bit more contemporary in our views around how we see relationships, um, committed relationships. Jane Ferguson, please stay with us. We're going to take a a caller. Uh, Ron has called in from Sylvan. Hi, Ron. Hi. Tell us your story. Uh, So my wife and I uh, met online uh, in our uh, 60s. Um, We um, both had been married previously, uh, she for 27 years, me for 40 years. it's been a very uh, happy, very happy relationship. Okay. We've now uh, mm. been together for nearly 10 years. Um, uh, the, only, the only downside, uh, my, one of my daughters um, uh, has become semi-estranged uh, for mm. reasons that uh, we don't really understand. But uh, apart from that, it's been a fantastic experience, which I would recommend to uh, anybody in the situation that we were in. How, what did you have to consider at the beginning? I mean, we got a, a text before where they had thought of everything from how they would split their finances and what was important to them financially, how they would approach living together, how much time they would spend together, uh, children, all of those things. Did that just naturally unfold for you, um, Rod, or did you have to sort of talk it through? Uh, I think... Uh for me, it was, uh, uh, I, I, will, I think it's probably true to say that I was uh, infatuated with my new uh, prospective partner and uh, I wasn't thinking terribly clearly. I, I think my wife was probably a bit more uh, rational than I was, but we've kept our finances separate. Um, you know, we've done wills that look after the children um, uh, and... Uh, you know, we don't uh, uh, we don't have any financial issues that uh, worry either of us. Um, so it's it's worked out really well. And Rod, how did you go with the online dating? Um, was that nervous for you to put a profile up and approach people online? Uh, I've heard people say that, but um, I, it was great. I mean. Um, uh, uh, my wife was the first person I met online and the last. And, there you uh, go. <laughs> it's uh, meant to you know, be. We, we just hit it off and she is just, I mean, it helps the fact that she's just a fantastic, a fantastically sane, rational, happy person. So, uh, oh, oh we're so happy for you. Kirsten and I both got really goofy grins <laughs> on our face <laughs> listening <laughs> to that. Ron, thank you for your call. It's interesting. There's a text here from JET that says when my mum started seeing someone, I was a young adult, I was devastated to find out she was keeping it a secret from me and sneaking out to see him. It's almost like a bit of a reverse there of the, uh, you know, of the roles in a, a family. But Jane Ferguson from Relationships Australia, Victoria, I mean, like what JT says there, do some adults maybe keep it secret from their kids because they're scared? Mm, oh, absolutely. I mean, I fe- think there's a lot of fear about what our children might think. And, and it's, it's important to understand both sides of that 
sort of that story that the fear from, from children often comes from a worry and a concern about their parent. It's, it's often to a grief um, that it means the end of the relationship that they may have had with the children's mother or father. So sometimes, um, you know, I mean, I, we do hear that people take a little bit of time before they're ready to talk to their children about it um, and that can be met with um, different re reactions and responses but um, the important thing is that people do get to the point where they where they talk about it and they can be open about their feelings towards another person and their desires about meeting somebody um, so acknowledging the grief for, for everybody and the change and what that means um, I think it's important that our children um, can value that older people need to be or people who are going into subsequent relationships need to be happy happy too you touched on this before jane but if you're someone who's thinking that they would like to meet someone but you just sort of don't even know where to start you've got all these concerns about how a relationship might look like or you know moving from those more conservative times 50 or 40 years ago when perhaps you were dating What's a good way of processing that? And and I suppose, you know, speaking to someone like yourself, mm. is that a good way? I was thinking about this, um, you know, I was thinking about this a lot, obviously, this last week and putting this show together about how, you know, people have business advisors and, and mm. go to people for that sort of thing, but not so much relationship. But maybe we should be thinking about that a bit more. Well, you know, that's the world in which I live. So preparation for relationship is actually something that I would promote all the time. So we would encourage people to really talk through some of their some of their expectations of what they might like out of a relationship. We do that at any age or stage. Um, people are entering into relationships, um, really need to know where they're at. Um, for many people who've been in long-term relationships or been in other relationships, it's really useful to talk through with somebody some of your apprehensions um, and some of your fears and maybe just some of the areas in which you feel like you should be growing um, in order to go into another relationship, a new relationship. So we do that um, in a counselling um, sense, but we also do that through relationship education. So um, Relationships Australia Victoria offer the Prepare Enrich um, program, which is basically a preparation for um, long-term committed relationship. It doesn't. It, it's sometimes called a pre-marriage um, program, but it's also a pre-commitment. As we said, it's it's not necessarily an expectation that everybody mm. decides marriage is the thing for them. So that helps people just to really understand their strengths and growth areas in relationships. Um, so yeah, so preparation and talking it through. Also, I just loved what um, Ron said, his, um, his wife said, and certainly what Beverly had commented in the text message earlier, that talking through, through things and communicating um, expectations um, and, and having a really, you know, often a hard and sometimes difficult conversation about how you want things to be, what might suit you, what might suit your family, that's the absolute key to um, having a successful relationship because we know communication is the key in any relationship. But if we're entering into relationship into in more senior years, we, we feel like we've got a little more, you know, invested in terms of um, what we might have established. Um, then it's really important that we are able to say, "Oh, I'd like to," as um, as Ron said, you know, keep our some of our finances. Uh, it may have been a, call, a texter who said that they've got separate accounts and then they pay into one account. So, um, you know, these are sorts of things that people should consider and should definitely talk about. Um, at the beginning of a relationship, mm. not when things become problematic. 
What about sexual intimacy? It can be a taboo topic, a really difficult topic for a lot of people to talk about. Mm. How do you suggest approaching that so that you're both clear about what you want out of the relationship? Mm. Again, a really important and necessary conversation to have early on because like in any age and stage, um, people's uh, sex interested in interest in sexual intimacy and sexual relationship, it, it, people have very different definitions of that um, and very different needs and desires. So again, it's important to communicate that to the, to, to the person that you can have a really open, um, and as I said, sometimes they're difficult conversations, mm. but it's actually more important that we're talking about them early on in the relationship and then continuing to talk about those um, as our needs and desires and, and, you know, health and lifestyle change. Um, I know for yeah, a lot of older people. interesting, yeah. Mm. There's a text here that says uneven intimacy playing field with menopause um, mm. and age and hormonal drop-off. So that would come into it as well. We're actually going to go into intimacy uh, in a little more detail a little later in the program. But it's been fascinating speaking with you, Jane. Jane, thank you. My pleasure. Jane Ferguson, she's from Relationships Australia, Victoria. Texts here say, uh, Rochelle and Kirsten, interesting topic listening to this. Uh, I'm widowed after 35 years for 10 years now and it's really difficult. I'm almost at the stage of giving up on a relationship. I did the online thing and it's a minefield from what I've found online. Being open and honest is hard to find. Well, speaking of online, I guess that's a really big part of it. Yeah. And, you know, I have to laugh because um, I've been spending the last, you know, two weeks looking at um, online sort of for over 55s dating sites. So <laughs> I don't know. You are going to get some interesting spam that's sent through to you and your <laughs> algorithms are going to be all out of whack. <laughs> I know. I usually get the sort of, I'm in that baby age. I get all of that. Now I'm going to get these um, old older dating, dating sites. But look, I did find uh, Stitch, which is an online community community for companionship for people over 50 and Andrew Dowling is the founder of that. Welcome to the program Andrew. Thanks for having me on, delighted to be here. I think um, that texter who said it's a minefield, you know, mm. there are so many apps and there are so many different forms of online dating. I can imagine it would be really confusing. Andrew, can you tell us a bit about Stitch and where you came up with the idea of it? Yeah, so and we, we don't talk about ourselves as an online dating site because that has so many connotations online. Like dating itself is a minefield. And what we – so we, we're a community and we cover all forms of companionship. But, of course, romance is a form of companionship and it's a very powerful one. And so it's really important. Uh, we find a lot of our members find romance in the community, but not everyone's looking for romance. And actually we try to get people to understand it's, it's okay to go slow. So the Stitch community gets people together through events and activities, uh, doing things you enjoy and finding your tribe, for want of a better word. Uh, and along the way, you might find the people that you connect with enough that you form that relationship. But if you go hunting for this one thing, um, then you end up with that sort of behaviour you see on dating sites where people are kind of pretending to be what you think they are and then it's not honest and it all gets all messy. So, so yeah. yeah so because a lot of the time um, people would be looking for companionship. You know, what we discussed at the very beginning of this program is that if you are no longer with your partner that you've been with for a very long time for whatever reasons, if your children have grown up or if you've never had kids, you might just be starting to feel a little bit lonely. And that's... The big message for everyone is this, this is something that's great that we're seeing more normalised discussions around today, but it happens to everyone. 
at some point, it might not be your partner, but your friendship group or your connect, social connections shrink over time just through attrition. And it's really important that we kind of change our mindset to go and reach out. And, you know, finding a, a, a new partner can be part of that process. So it's very, very common. Uh, when we first started Stitch about eight or nine years ago, there were a lot of you know, interviews we do about, oh, this exciting thing about dating for seniors, let's talk about that as though it's a really weird thing. And what's been great to see is it's much more normalised. Everyone goes, oh, of course, of course, um, mum. In fact, contrary to some of the stories around there's apprehension from the kids, we, I mean, this is true, but we also see plenty of people coming to Stitch because their kids are pushing them. Mum, you've been lonely now for seven years, you've got to do something. Uh, or dad, and, you know, I, I go to Stitch events, and occasionally a member will say, can I take a photo with, with you, Andrew, so I can prove to my kids I came because they've been telling me I need to get out and do something. Let's have a chat to Margie, who's in Cheltenham. Hi, Margie. Hi, how are you going? Good. What did you want to say? Yeah, I just wanted to let people know that, um, you know, they shouldn't be scared of online dating. It's, it's pretty good and I had a fantastic situation arise from it and I've been very happy for two years seeing somebody. How did you first go about it? Because we've got Andrew Dowling with us as well. How did you first, I mean, you must have felt a, a bit nervous jumping onto uh, an online site. How did you no, find the whole experience? I never felt nervous at all. I just thought that that was the way to go these days. I just thought, well, we need to have a go at being modern and get out of the old comfort zone. And uh, I actually met 50 people. I went on 50 dates. Good on. That sounds like the title of a film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure it is. <laughs> I really went on 50 days. Good on and you. I did not have one negative experience. That's Obviously, fantastic. a couple of them were okay, but the majority of the time, either you like them more than they like you, so it kind of fizzes out. And then the 51st gentleman that contacted me has been the absolute, you know, greatest treasure I've ever found. He's just amazing. You know something to Margie is that it took 51 dates and then you went, yep, you're the one. As we get older, right, we know what we like and what we don't like and we've got our, we, we sort of lose our Absolutely. patience a bit. And so did that help you in that process? It really did. And I wasn't prepared to negotiate <laughs> on anything that was really important to me. The Good things that were deal breakers were always going to be deal breakers. And you know what? I just got lucky. This guy came with every tick that I needed, plus he brought more to the table as well. He, he right. actually brought things that I didn't know I wanted. And Margie, what were some of those deal breakers, if you don't mind us asking? Yeah, some of the deal breakers were bad manners towards weight Staff, like yep. I'd always want to meet somebody in a restaurant or a cafe and if they were rude to wait staff, that was a real problem for me. Um, if they were sleazy, if they had dirty fingernails, <laughs> if they had... <laughs> It's like whatever is important to you. And, you know, there's a text here as well that's talking about, you know, she's saying she's in her mid-60s, modern, independent widow, uh, thought she had repartnered in 2020 with someone else that had been divorced for a long time. They were friends at first. They thought it was a good way to develop. They, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but they ended up moving in to uh, with each other. And then she discovered that he was actually quite, had a lot of coercive control behaviour and she had to almost Google, you know, what is an appropriate way to live 
live with someone and she says, looking at men in this age group, I can see that some of them are very behind in their equality and how they think. So, I mean, did you sort of think about, yeah, okay, well, what is your stance on X, Y and Z? Did you have a list of things to, to tick off? Yeah, look, I really did. But my thing was I never wanted to live with anybody. And uh, I'm very comfortable living alone and and my partner was exactly the same. You know, he'd been in a long-term relationship as well. And, and the thing is, we've both got really full and happy and energetic lives and we're happy. And then when we come together, whether it's through the week or on the weekends, it's, it's like a honeymoon every time we see each other. Oh, Margie, that's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, I love that story, Rochelle. I know. Um, it's a film. It's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're making it. <laughs> I love that she said a deal breaker was dirty fingernails, but really one of them was, you know, living, uh, she wanted to always live in her own home and live yeah. separately. And that, I think, is a, a really kind of smart one, knowing that going in, that you're not going to compromise or, or moving away. I know that that can be a, a deal breaker mm. for some people. They don't want to live in a different city. Andrew Dowling's the founder of CEO Stitches, an online community for companionship for anyone over the age of 50. Andrew, do you find that many people are like Margie? They're like, you know what? I know what I want and I know what my deal breakers are and we're less in a position to compromise as we get older. Yeah, I had a massive grin on my face as Margie was talking. (laughs) Partially, I mean, there'd be plenty of listeners out there who'd be going, oh, that sounds really uh, challenging, 50 dates and and you, you have to get out of your comfort zone. But but when Jane from Relationships Australia was talking about the, it's not. Well, I think one of you was saying it's it's more it's not simple, but actually I think there's a, a way of looking at it that we see again and again. Like Margie, a lot of our members couple up, uh, but they've already got their life and they've got this stability that means they don't have to uproot themselves, and they can then gradually figure out what's right for them and many people still stay living separately with a shared togetherness but but within that relationship they've got their own space and that actually when you're younger you don't you know you're generally not as stable you don't know what you want you don't even know what the future looks like and so i I don't know i look at it in in more positive glass half full terms that finding a new relationship later in life opens you up for a lot of options that you don't have when you're younger and it can be really fulfilling yeah, there's generally like not Maggie. that that um, fear that a lot of pe- women in their 30s, and it shouldn't happen, get about talking about wanting children, mm. um, which I personally was always open about because I want children. Well, I did, you know, before I met my husband and had kids. But I know that some people really still, it's that taboo, and particularly when you get into your 30s, everyone thinks you've got a light in your head saying that, you know, you want to settle down and have kids and that can be a really challenging thing. So I guess there are challenges at, at every age and stage. Absolutely. Pam's in South Gippsland. Pam, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. What did you want to say? Um, look, I started online dating when I was 58, had quite a few dates with some nice men, some I didn't want to see again, um, have now been at 69, I'm now in a seven-year relationship. But during that process, I developed a few little guidelines that I like to share with girlfriends who are starting the process. Oh, please share, Pam. (laughs) Now, you could call them deal breakers. I just call them what to look for. And it's the four S's. (laughs) Okay? Yep. Where are dirty fingernails on this list? (laughs) The first S is what I call sane. You want someone who's sane. And that means someone who has a great relationship with their friends and family. I think that's really mm-hmm. important, a really indi- a great indicator of their character. 
The second one is if you're a mature woman and you're financially safe, you need someone who's solvent. Mm. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of your second S, okay. Who aren't solvent, so that's the second S. The third S I call is smart. If you're reasonably smart, it's just really hard to have a partner who doesn't quite get it like you do. Mm-hmm. So that's the third S. And the final S I call sustainability. And that is simple things like, are they single? Are they <laughs> are they healthy? Perhaps there should be healthy? five S's and that should be the first is single. <laughs> are they, I mean, are they single and are they healthy? Mm. So is the relationship going to be sustainable? So oh, yeah. See, Pam, you've so touched same, on something there. Smart and sustainable. Pam, you sound like the awesome awesome women that my mum is friends with who and it's something I I was afraid of even saying on this program because they chat about um wanting to make sure that a pr- prospective partner is healthy like they've got good and they've got good knees and good hips and they don't <laughs> and they're not going to have a heart attack and that's a terrible thing you to can say. Never, you can't guarantee that, but I no. guess it would depend on if you have spent and this is something that your mum did and lots of other people listening as well where if you have cared for someone for a very long time if you had become their carer and the last couple of years of your life was caring for somebody else that's probably going to come into your thinking a little bit too okay what if I'm signing up to then go into care for someone else again and again that sounds terrible yeah to think about it (laughs) like that (laughs) <laughs> We're probably going to get a lot of hate mail. But if these are what things that people are thinking about, Pam, I think your four S's are really interesting. Just finally, Andrew, it seems like lots of people, I mean, the stereotype around older people getting online and using it to either find a partner or to find a friendship group, the idea that, oh, well, they're over 60 or over 70 or in their 80s, they don't know how to use social media. It's not really true, is it? I mean, that stereotype's been busted pretty quickly here today. Yeah. Yeah, the, the last decade has really put pay to that. We've, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. The, the biggest users of Facebook, for example, are older adults. Like it's just, uh, it's not complex to organise to message someone on one of these dating sites. Sometimes people need a little bit of advice, and they get that from their friends or their their kids. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about people. So it's not like you're trying to. It's not rocket science. It's it's really just about communicating, organising your time to meet up, do something. And and we find our actually, as people get older, they get even more interested in learning some new things. Uh, and, you know, they're on Zoom, they're everywhere, everything. So, so uh, the other thing to remember is age 50 is actually pretty young. Yes, thank you. A couple of years away. <laughs> yeah. My husband's nearly 50, so... He might and think I'm looking for members. someone else with all my research that I've been doing. <laughs> so, so, you know, we've got uh, one of our members, he's 80. He's been developing software for 40 years. You know, there's there's a lot of skills in the community. Um, some people need a little bit of help, but by and large, it's incredible what people can achieve if they if they really want to. Andrew, before we let you go, uh, as the founder of Stitch, which is a, a not-for-profit community, we should say, uh, I read this article that you wrote and there's just one I have a bone to pick with you about one of the things that was nine things <laughs> you didn't know about dating for seniors. And you've got these, this advice and it says that um, it's dinner, not drinks. And that for a first date, and it's been a while since I've been on a date, but my rule of thumb was 
coffee first in case they were really boring or weird or something and you didn't yeah. want to stick through a degustation you know entrees no thanks moving on yes right. so explain yeah, no, that no, no. for me no, no, you'll find – so coffee is a drink, uh, so you're dead right there. And we actually advise meeting up for coffee is, is normally the best thing to start with or come along to a group event because then you just you mix and mingling. But the point was it's not about going off and meeting someone at a bar getting drunk. It's not, it's not that sort of scene anymore. Like let's go out and get completely smashed and, and there's – you know, maybe that doesn't happen as much as the young people moved online dating anyway, but that's, that's what that one was. It's uh-huh. not about – commit to a to a very fancy dinner to sit down because you're right uh, in fact just remember uh, margie has an incredible patience and commitment 50 dates that's 50 individuals you have to meet again before you find the one person but if you just get out there and meet lots of people in a group environment you you can more quickly find someone that you hit it off with and um and so we would actually recommend starting in kind of group environments first rather than leaping straight into dating Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Andrew Dowling there, founder and CEO of Stitch, which is an online community for companionship for anyone over 50. This is the Conversation Hour. I believe in miracles. Where you from? You sex a thing, sex a thing, you. Things have taken a turn here on the Conversation (laughs) Hour today. Plenty of people wanting to know, Pam, Pam, what are your four S's again? Now, I was too busy listening to jot them all down. Pam's four S's. The first was sane, wasn't it? I mean, then we thought we'd add single to the top. It's always (laughs) important. Sane, solvent, which is a good one. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other ones. remember the other two as well. Sexy? No, that was just no. in my head there. <laughs> Maybe we can add that in as well. People no, will smart. remember. Smart. She said smart. smart. That's it. All right, we're going to make a list. The the fourth one was, was where... Oh, oh sustainable. sustainable. Sustainability. There we go. Yes. We've got the end. Single, sane, solvent. We're adding sexy, smart and sustainability as well. That's according I, to Pam. I had a couple of deal breakers when I was dating, you know, more than 10 years ago. Um, that was, you know, wanted to have kids. I, so if they didn't, that would be a deal breaker. Another one was owning a racehorse. <laughs> really? That's totally random. It's not random. Or owning a, um, um, uh, what do you call it, like a, one of those swords, like a samurai sword. That's it. And the reason why I had samurai sword and racehorse was because I was a court reporter for a long time. Oh. And whenever there was, whenever you'd read the charge sheets, no matter what the, the crime was, there always was possessing a samurai sword and more often than not owned a racehorse. I'm sorry for anyone who owns a racehorse or a samurai sword, <laughs> but that became a deal breaker for me. We all have our reasons. There's lots of questions today around finances as well. And before we speak with Caroline Council, who's a family law specialist, let's have a chat to Katie, who's been waiting so patiently in Clunes. Katie, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. That's all right. What did you um, want to I, say? I wanted to throw a different skin on it. The, um, I, I'm with my beautiful wife now. We've been married and been together for nearly six years. But when I broke up with my previous partner of 10 years, there was, like you were talking before about the impact on family and children, the impact on the community. Because we were seen as this couple that, you know, we're like the ideal couple. And some people even said to us, oh, um, if you can't keep your relationship together, what hope yeah, have we right. got? Yeah, yeah. So you and had I this sort thought, of responsibility, you felt like you had this responsibility almost. Yeah, and I just said to people, you cannot base your own relationship on someone else's. And then, no. apart from that, as an absolute wonderful side note, um, and what you said before about adult little parents hiding things from their children, 
I hid it from my daughter for a little bit out of respect of having been in the previous relationship um, that was basically a parent to her for the 10 years. And um, so with my new partner, I was like, all right, I've got to keep it quiet. But she knew. She said, Mum, I can tell. I know what's going on. <laughs> and um, now they are the closest, most beautiful mother and child and um, to the point where they're even silly and they gang up on me and tease me and stuff together sometimes, which is quite cute. <laughs> and Katie, what about the idea of, because I remember looking back and, and watching my mum go through a divorce and, and wondering whether or not she would repartner, but living in a small town. So there's so many things that come into that. There's everybody knowing your business and then there's maybe losing friends and, you know, taking sides almost or who do you sort of stay yeah. closer to. Then there's finding someone else in a small town as well. That's what it was. The small town aspect was huge and luckily my wife, um, we were friends and we happened to fall in love which was absolutely beautiful but it, it was a, we really dealt with a whole lot of stuff from the community and lost, yeah. lost friends and people did take sides unfortunately which is just, you know, mind your own business. <laughs> yeah and you can't make decisions about your personal relationship based on what others think, you know. That's not, not the right way to go about it, surely. And, you know, it's not unusual for people to, you know, find a new relationship within a friendship group. You know, I, I know of people who have lost a partner and, you know, years down the track have ended up with someone from within their friendship yeah. circle. And yeah. that can be a bit confronting yeah. for others, but again, they need to get over it, really. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Katie, thank you. We didn't know how today would roll out. And I have to say, I know it's not always easy and, and simple for a lot of people, but I'm actually loving how fun this conversation is. And there's a text here that says, thank you so much. You have invigorated my day. I'm 53 in July. I'm a gay man who's almost given up. I'm now going to go on 51 dates and I'm starting in groups yes. and I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, you should, I mean, depending on how um, private you are, but if you're comfortable, I mean, I would love to read a blog about that or watch a video about people's 51 dates. experience. That's it. Yeah. And by the, by the 51st date, you find true love. Is That's the theory behind it. We've got the four S's and we've got the 51 dates. We have multiple uh, experiments that are running here. Rod, at the very start of the program, found love in the first date, which is crazy. But look, I think we do need to bring it back to the, the serious side a little bit mm. as well. And because there are some legal things, we heard people talking about wills, about, you know, whether or not to live with someone. Caroline Council is a family law specialist and former president of the Law Institute of Victoria. Welcome to the program, Caroline. Thank you very much. What are some of those things to consider when you've got a new relationship? You know, what are the laws around living with someone and the claim that they could have on half your stuff? Well, it gets even dicier than that because you don't necessarily need to live under the one roof for one of you to make out a de facto relationship. And therefore, after two years of potentially staying at each other's houses, keeping your finances separate, you could actually make a claim at law pursuant to the de facto provisions of the Family Law Act. So people that say, look, it's really good that we've kept our finances separate, we've got separate bank accounts, I've got my own house, he, she has their own house, I spend three nights with them, they spend three nights with me. You may, in fact, still be, at law, considered to be a de facto relationship. The only true way at law, and even then it's pervious to attack, 
to preserve your assets going into a second time round would be pursuant to a financial agreement. And our very first caller today in the conversation hour uh, did precisely that. To protect herself, she entered into a financial agreement. They're sometimes called binding financial agreements, but that can be a bit of a misnomer because they can certainly be attacked if they're not mm. entered into properly and in accordance with the law. And I wonder so how much of that we all <laughs> think and know. Like there's a text here that says, my partner and I live together apart. We've been together for over a decade. We visit each other. We use a kitty to pay for expenses when we're together. What legal safeguards can one set up to ensure that your estate goes to your children? Thank you. So, uh, I mean, these are big conversations that that people sort of need to have. And And you know what? We're not actually trained... Um, from yeah. cradle to grave to have those what I consider to be fundamental and really basic conversations about money. We, it's it's almost like um, we'll worry about every other aspect of our lives, but we won't have the difficult or hard conversations in relation to money. That's where organisations like Relationships Australia can help, counsellors can help, and family lawyers, believe it or not, can do a lot of preventative work. So my most exciting work is when I'm keeping clients out of court and imagining a future and how to protect against the worst case scenario. So a lot of people think it's, oh, if he or she leaves me, that's the only thing I have to worry about. Well, I've actually got some bad news. The High Court of Australia heard a case in 2012 called Stanford and Stanford. Mr and Mrs Stanford were elderly. So this was a second go round for both of them. They, in fact, did not terminate their relationship, but it became a dispute between the adult children of one against the adult children of the other as the couple became infirm and then ultimately died. Oh. So it became, a, a, if you will, a grab for the deceased estates in a preemptive way, that is before the parents actually died. And there was some compl legal complications, which I won't go into. So people thinking, I've got a will, that's all that matters, and my, my finances are separate, that doesn't necessarily get you out of the woods. Am I right in thinking, Caroline, that any child of someone who has died can challenge a will? Like that's part of the law? Yeah, there's, there's categories of people that can certainly challenge estates. So it rather depends, obviously, where you live in Australia because that's a statewide law that's um, that applies when somebody dies. But if you fit into the category of persons that can challenge the will, you can certainly challenge the will. There's a real art form in relation to preparing wills. So once upon a time, I used to recommend will kits, but I don't anymore. I send my clients. I won't even touch wills. Um, I didn't do my own will. They're highly specialised. And the whole idea is to prevent that grief that occurs on top of the grief of somebody dying of that mad scramble for the estate, often using the resources of the estate for the fight. So as you're fighting the estate, the estate is defending itself and spending the estate's money. Caroline, how can, if you're in a new relationship, you specify, say, that when you die, you want to leave your partner, obviously the house perhaps or, or something, but maybe you want to leave your children a sum of money or or something so that it's sorted out when you die as opposed to there being this fight when the other partner dies? Well, again, that, that can often come down to the legal ownership of real estate. So, a lot of people don't realise that if they own the property as joint tenants, 
the property doesn't even form part of your estate. So let's say you owned the house, but you decided to, to include your partner because you're planning to live together forever and you put them on the title and you want them to have a life interest, but then you want on their death for it to be sold and, and given to your children. Now, if you create the wrong sort of tenancy, um, that person can inherit outright. And then that means they can leave the entire house to their children and mm. exclude your children. So there's a bit of a trick around real estate as well about whose name is it registered in? Does it form part of the deceased estate of the owner? Is there sufficient provision for your de facto partner? You cannot exclude your de facto partner because they potentially could mm. attack the estate. And that's why we talk about having a suite of documents that works together. So we talk about having a financial agreement that protects you under the Family Law Act and a will that mirrors the financial agreement so that those attacks can't be made on your death. Gosh, there's a lot to, to think about. You can see why people may have those concerns going into it. This text here says, met my partner when 48, got married eight years later. Then we both realised we could marry but not necessarily live together. And yes, a binding financial agreement was definitely first. Caroline Council, thanks so much for your time and your expertise. My pleasure. She's a family law specialist, is also the former president of the Law Institute of Victoria. Intimacy was something that we spoke about right at the beginning of the program. Let's come back to that. So Louise Bauscher is, well, she's currently a PhD student. She's also a sexual health educator. She has a master's in public health and is at the University of Melbourne. Louise, we've spoken about lots of, I guess, tricky conversations that people need to have when they're repartnering later in life. How open do people need to be right at the beginning about intimacy and maybe what they're comfortable and not comfortable with? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a very challenging thing for some people to speak about. It's very individual. Some people have built up a lot of confidence to talk about sexual matters, whereas for other people, they might not have had a lot of experience speaking about it. And if someone's come from a long-term relationship, they might have really gotten into certain patterns talking with one partner. But the idea of talking to someone new can be quite challenging. But some of the topics that older adults would want to navigate around sexual matters is uh, STIs, sexual health. So age is not a, a prevention for sexually transmissible infections. There might also be things to discuss around sexual function. I know a person um, earlier on the show mentioned menopause, for example, which mm. can have an impact on sexual intimacy. Uh, challenges like erectile difficulties and prostate issues become more common as, as people age. Um, and also just things around intimacy, as in um, how how often do you want to meet? What kind of sexual activities do you want to share? All of these things are important to discuss but can be challenging. It's Does it take the sort of romance out of the the picture, you know, that, that you have In to... In those early of, days as yeah. well, yeah. But you have to sit down and, and d discuss it? Well... I, I would suggest not so much sitting down as though it's like a legal discussion. These things can come up a little bit more, more organically. Just while you're doing the but will. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, an, yeah, it's an interesting question, though, because sometimes people do think, oh, well, it might be a barrier to intimacy to talk about these things. But actually, if we're feeling a bit stressed or inhibited, it can be a really great opportunity for connection, honestly, to bring up these topics and to talk about them, rather than sitting there worrying like, oh, am I going to catch an STI? If you've had the conversation, you feel relaxed 
and safe about your sexual health, for example, it's actually easier to connect intimately and to kind of Mm. relax into the sexual experience. So it it does depend. Perhaps it's not the first thing on the first date, uh, but to have a strategy for how you want to talk about these things if the relationship continues. We spoke earlier as well about some of the stereotypes around you know, dating or repartnering later in life. And intimacy, I guess, would be high at the top of the list uh, in terms of stereotypes that you know, once you're over a certain age, then you just don't have sex anymore. And that's not necessarily the case at all. How much of that stereotype is slowly b- being broken down in society, do you think? Yeah, it's absolutely a stereotype and it's an unfair one. So we know that over the later years, it's common for sexual frequency to decline over over time. But for if somebody has a partner, if they're still interested in sexual activity, they tend to continue to be sexually active. It's more if somebody has major health concerns or don't have access to a partner that they might uh, no longer have sex in their lives. Of course, some older adults are not interested in being sexual anymore and it might be a, a relief or they might have no real issues you know, with it, uh, without having sex in their life. Whereas for other people, it's really important. It's a source of connection. It's great for physical health and mental health, all those kinds of things. So we don't know exactly what the rates are in terms of how many older people are or aren't being sexually active, but we know that there are many older people who are continuing to be sexually active. And for them, it's an important part of their, their well-being. Louise Boucher is a sexual health educator and a PhD student. And Louise, I understand you did some research on the rates of STIs amongst older Australians. What are you finding there? Yeah, I did. So, so STI, so sexually transmissible infections, are much higher among young people. It's really important to establish that straight up. There's not very high rates among older people. However, among older people, we see an increase that we don't see among younger people. So chlamydia and gonorrhea and possibly syphilis are increasing at higher rates among older people than they are among younger people, which is a source of concern. Mm. Uh, it, it suggests that there might be gaps in sexual health knowledge or information for older people. It suggests that older people who are needing STI tests are not necessarily being picked up in GP visits to get those STI tests. It's important for them to look into that. Louise, not that I wanted to end this conversation speaking about gonorrhea, but it turns out that that's where we have today. (laughs) (laughs) Louise Bersher, thank you so much for your time. Kirsten Diprose, this has been such an interesting conversation. The text here is saying, Rochelle and Kirsten, thank you for inspiring me to dip my toe into the online world. At 58, I've been solo for five years. I find the online world daunting, but I will try. And many saying that they're jumping onto Stitch to have a look, which is a not-for-profit, I guess, companionship site for those over the age of 50. A huge thank you for today's conversation and for eavesdropping and coming up with today's topic. <laughs> thank you. I hope we've done it justice. You know, you always feel a bit uncomfortable when it's something that you're, you know, I'm, I'm not in that age bracket, but I think it's so important because clearly it's what people are talking mm. about.